Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today's date is February 27th, 2022, as astounding as that is. The current status of world events could give us plenty to speak about. But the truth is, this pulpit has said that the events of this last week would come to pass since at least 2014 when Crimea was swallowed up by Russia. This is not news to you. It was forecasted from this pulpit in advance that these things would come to pass. Saints, where we would like to begin is directly in the scripture. In the scripture regarding the outcome of nations, and we're going to begin in Daniel 4, verse 32. Daniel 4, verse 32b. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Come on. The kingdoms of the earth are still operating in insanity. They are out of their mind crazy. They are outside of the mind of Christ. They do not realize that the Most High, who is sovereign, is actually in control. They are living in a deception of their own strength, of their own reality. We live in a day where the archons over these nations are governing with a malevolent spirit, misguiding their puppet pulpit pastors of that nation. They are literally using them for their own devices and for their own purposes like minions. Today, we want to remind you that ultimately, it is God who arranges the, the borders and the boundaries of nations. And he is the one who exalts, and he is the one who brings down. Now, in light of current events, listen to Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. I know many of you, like myself, have been on the news all week looking at what's going on. But when you read Jeremiah 18, you realize that there's really nothing that checking and worrying can do. Verse 7 says... If at any time I announce that a nation, say a nation, a, a, nation. Nation, a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. Now notice that the Lord said through Jeremiah, a nation. This is any nation that God is desiring to tear down. Man, that's incredible, isn't it? We're not yeah. just talking about Israel here. We're talking about any nation. Verse 8. And if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not after I had planned. Wow. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Church, we live in a Gentile nation that in the historic past has been used for good, and we represent a remnant that still lives within this nation. Now, there's no way to escape the fact, though, that God is determined to bring this nation low, and the expected results are the reshaping of the nations. God is sovereign over all of that. Both Daniel and Jeremiah foresaw the reshaping of nations, but the ultimate outcome being the kingdom of God that would crush all others and envelop the earth. Are you waiting on a kingdom to come? Yes. Are you happy with the way the world is now, church? No. No, we live in expectancy. 
of facing a fourth empire, of facing trial and tribulation so that that rock that will envelop the earth might come. Man, as good as Jesus' first coming was, I am longing for his return. Whatever needs to be done to get there, come what may. Church, we ask you to rejoice with us this morning. To rejoice with us as this nation declines by God's own design. Rejoice with us as global battles ensue. As difficulty arises and the face of the globe is changed. Because God is only inching us closer and closer to his return. Saints, this is what brings about the kingdom on earth. This is why Paul and Barnabas told and encouraged the disciples. We must go through many trials and tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Saying something that came to us during worship, right before Pastor Nick prophesied, is a quote from C.T. Studd. The phrase, this is what we've been training for, came to mind. C.T. Studd said, heroism is the lost chord, the missing note of present-day Christianity. Man, is that true when you look around? Those that claim to be of Christ have no heroism left. They do not want to fight for the kingdom of God. But he went on to say, Every true soldier is a hero. A soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier who has not been stirred to scorn and mirth at the very thought of a chocolate soldier. Well, we live in a nation full of them. We speak louder than we act. We threaten and do not fulfill. But we are in peace. True soldiers are like captive lions, unhappy because we are fretting in cages. C.T. Studd went on to say, War gives them liberty. War gives true soldiers liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him into a stooping asthmatic. War makes a man whole again and gives him the heart, the strength, and the vigor of a hero. Every true Christian is a soldier of Christ. A hero par excellence, braver than the bravest, scorning the soft seductions of peace and her soft, often repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death, whom he counts among his bosom friends. Saints, this is what we've been training for. Over the last seven days, we've experienced death in children, death in the elderly, sickness, disease, trouble at work, trouble on the road. But saints, you were born again for this purpose. Our God has been preparing us months in advance. He's been training us, teaching us what it looks like to be sifted, what it looks like to be pruned. Even all the way back to winning the war, speaking about Ezekiel breathing life into dry bones. Saints, this is where you will find your breath. Don't have the wind knocked out of you because it was difficult. You've been equipped for this. Our God has prepared us for this. We are just now beginning to deploy into what we are called to do. We didn't mention it earlier. Our sermon title today is Face the Fact. We're going to run it back, fam. I'm going to say this again. Every true Christian is a soldier. A soldier of Christ. A hero par excellence. We were made for war. We were made for battle. And this is why we're training There are many battles for us to fight, but the best place to start before any battle is to know the God whom you serve. Can we talk about the character of God Almighty? Can we talk about the character of the God of Israel? 
I want to remind you that his character is the same in the midst of our times, and it has not changed from age to age. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The Lord God Almighty does not change. Let me read Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 to you. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. He is faithful. He keeps his commandments. That is the character of our God, unchanging and perfect and faithful. Even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, He remains faithful because it is in his character, in his nature, in his Hashem. The Father has extended to us from his character the very hope of salvation. And if he has extended the hope of salvation, he will not change the offer. Now, in light of his character, we have to uphold our end of his will. Now, we can literally talk about the character of God all week, can we not? And I, we're not going to do that this morning, but we're going to jump right into the best way you can see the character of God, and that is displayed in how God interacts with his people. Would you like to see that? We're going to look at how God began to interact with Israel and the father of Israel in Genesis 15, 1 through 6. Verse 1 says, after this... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The word of the Lord came to him in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. Man, amazing words, right? If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now listen to this. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So what we see in this passage is that Abram had the word of the Lord come to him in a vision. And what does Abram do? He receives the word of the Lord. He accepted also, you see him wrestling in this interaction with God. He accepted his current lack, his current situation, and the fact of where he was at. But he accepted it in in comparison to the word that was being given to him. He is accepting the word, but also facing a reality. What is happening is Abraham is believing the Lord and what he says. And he was faithful to the word of the Lord. And that word lived in Abraham as Abraham moved forward. Guys, do you understand that concept? Abraham, the father of the faithful both lived in the tension of the fact that he did not have a son, that his circumstances didn't show what God had spoken, and yet he was alive and righteousness was credited to his account because he believed the word 
and what it spoke about his future in a prophetic sense lived within him while he walked. Revelation 17, 14 is our next passage on the character of God in relationship to the kind of faith that Abraham possessed. They will wage war against the Lamb. Saints, who's the Lamb? Jesus. All right, one more time like you're awake instead of just bim. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. The Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Saints, one of the songs that we were singing in worship today is about the Lamb who has and will overcome and our responsibility to follow him in that victory. Come on. The passage goes on and says, with him will be his called. Church, are you called by God? Yes. With him will be his chosen. Are you chosen by God? Yes. And his faithful followers. Saints, we need to rejoice in the triumph that is the Lamb. Know what it is to follow him in our days of turmoil and disastrous events. It is good to be reminded that he is king of kings and lord of lords, no matter their nationality or whether they're called a president or prime minister. The text says that those who are with him will be called, chosen, and faithful followers. Saints, there's something that we're going to wrestle with. Some of you will understand it immediately. Some of you are not going to like it. But we're going to start by telling you the honest truth in our own lives. Mm -hmm. An honest assessment of my own life over the previous weeks would indicate that I've been anything but consistently faithful. As extraordinary as what we just read in Revelation 17, 14 is, it says that his called, well, I know that I'm called. His chosen, I know that he did choose me. So what is left for evaluation? Could my life genuinely be characterized as consistently faithful? Does it warrant walking with the Lamb of God? Since he redeemed me by calling me and choosing me, what does the faithfulness of my daily life look like hour to hour? Well, an honest assessment would tell you that I had faithful moments, spirit-led moments, and also really stupid, carnal moments. A mixture of walking in fresh water. And the unfortunate truth is that more saltwater thinking and saltwater words come out of my mouth than I would like to admit. Had evenings when I put our ministry in jeopardy by just being foolish and reckless and no longer thinking about the plan of God but what I wanted to do that evening. Had moments of carnality that have produced poor fruit in my friends around me. Poor fruit in my own spouse because I refused to refine things out of my life in years earlier, and I'm eating of it now. One that really just got to the center of my core. There was just foolishness, absolute stupidity in not having the priorities of God in my daily life, not being consistently faithful. I discovered that going over tithe statements from 2021 That for the previous two months, I had been $600 short on my tithe for the previous year. That was not intentional. I didn't willfully steal from God. But nevertheless, I did. And my own priorities for the week had left me not even realizing that I owed him something that had been due for two whole months while I'm asking him to direct my life. Now... 
Lest you think we're preaching on tithe this morning, I would like to remind you that we are not on staff. We are pastors, but no one up here is actually supported by your tithes. We're speaking about a kind of awareness that is consistent faithfulness, or rather the honest recognition of the areas that you've been blatantly ignoring what God has called you to do and been unaware. And he's bringing us into a recognition, a reality check that says, hey, we've been training, but now that I'm in the fight, I realize this area of my faith isn't a faithful follower. I do know that he chose me, but something is lacking. I want to share with you some of the things that I've been wrestling with this week. Many of you have heard, because of transparency in my life that I'm trying to grow in, things that I am wrestling with. The faithlessness, the stupidity, the arrogance and pride before God. This is a new one from this week. That in my efforts to serve the Lord and pursue Him with all of my heart, I discovered something in my heart that is just faithless and dangerous and honestly kind of stupid. When I hear myself say it, I'm like, wow, how did I get so far off of the standard? Let me articulate it for you. I want to know Christ. I want to be shaped by him. I want to be refined by him. I preach about it. I teach about it. Encourage everyone. Yes, let the refining fires of the Lord come into your life and tear away all the dross that doesn't belong so you can be the precious metal. Of course, do you guys agree with that? This is what is going on in my heart that I have to get rid of, and the Lord is helping me. My brothers, the ministry team is helping me get rid of. I want to be shaped by the Lord, but this is my end goal, to be pleased with myself. Everything that I do, many things that I do, come from my own desire to feel good about my progress in the kingdom so that I can honestly feel at peace with the Lord based on my own performance. But I want to know Christ and have the shaping of my life be for the purpose of his glory, for the purpose of pleasing him. Whether that looks glorious or not, it doesn't matter. It's the internal motivator that is causing me to pursue Christ with all that I have. And in the name of Jesus, I am being set free because I'm able to dig down into the depths, let the word circumcise my heart so I can drag my wickedness out before him and see it for what it is. Briefly, just a comment on what Peyton said because I can see many of you don't understand it. <laughs> How much of your actual desire for transformation, to be righteous, is genuinely motivated from a desire to be pleasing to the God whom you can't see? See, when you really get down and you think about it, when you work through the motives of your own heart, far more of our desire to be transformed, to be righteous, is so that we don't feel bad, so that people on our left and right think well of us, so that we feel like we are doing something useful with our lives. You see, that is the perfect way to ensure that you are useless. Yeah. When our desire to be transformed is based upon our own motivation and not a desire to please him, it isn't his faithful follower, even if he has chosen and called us. Man, I am so glad that the lamb will triumph. Yeah. I am so glad that with him will be his called. I'm so glad that with him will be his chosen. But when I think about faithful followers, it causes me to, to cringe a little bit. 
just this last week with wrestling with this verse. I have been anything but faithful. Now, on the outside, I may look like I'm faithful, but in my mind, I have descended to faithless thinking, a complete lack of trust in everything I see around me, which is a complete lack of trust in God and what God is doing around me, which is an insecurity that's brewing in me this week that's spurred on by small, small things like dropping my favorite laptop and getting my truck broken into and my favorite gun stolen. But it's caused me to descend in this kind of feeling of loneliness, like I'm just all alone on this adventure, which is really only there because I've insulated myself from everyone around me because I have trust issues in everyone around me. Am I the only one that wrestles with things like that? No. Church, we have something to ask in the light of these things. If we're wrestling with these kinds of things in this verse, then we know you're wrestling with them as well. And when you wrestle with this, if you have honestly wrestled with the fact that with him will be his faithful followers, and you give an honest recounting of your unfaithfulness, it it causes you to beg a question. How are we going to be with him? How in the world can a people like myself, how can my family, my team, how could any of us win? How can we succeed? Well, thank God. There is a subscription for that, a prescription for that yeah. problem. <laughs> Revelation 19:10. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, we're going to meditate on this for just a moment. Saints, we must learn. We must learn what it is to hold to the testimony. We must learn what it is to have the spirit of prophecy live within us. This is a passage that many of you are familiar with, but it needs to get down in our soul in a way that is a little different. Saints, if you think we are merely talking about your charismatic gifts, then your carnal character needs to collide with the character of the Almighty. The testimony and the spirit of prophecy are Jesus. He is the embodied word of God. What is needed in this room is for us to honestly reckon with the bronze altar. Be able to revisit our own condition and understand our great need. The profession of prophecy is not the same as practicing the prophecy. Not the same as practicing the prophecy of the canon, the living and active word of God that speaks in our day. And everything he has spoken to us personally. We are speaking to those of you in this room who have begun to recognize your own condition. Who have visited the bronze altar enough to know your own desperate need. Your own wicked condition. Your own faithless heart over the last week. And how desperately in need of ongoing transformation you are. So as you continue in this ongoing transformation and you grow... I want to tell you that the problem is that you can't prophesy. It's that prophecy does not live in you. It's not alive. It's mere words and didactic knowledge that you can pull from at any moment. But today, we want the spirit of prophecy and the word of God to come alive in us. Because it's not in our nature to hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
It's not within our nature to have the spirit of Jesus, the living, breathing promise of God, alive in us. You know Romans 8? It says that the spirit or the, the flesh, the body that's governed by the flesh, the sinful nature, it is hostile to God. It is in direct contention with the living God. In Christ, we're inclined to see life through the world's eyes. And love for the world is hatred towards God. We need that to sink in a little bit into our, our daily meditation. If you love the world or anything in the world, that is considered hatred towards God. If your flesh is being governed by the sinful nature, that is hostility towards God. But to be governed by the Spirit of God, man, that means life and peace and transformation that is ongoing. Just to give you a quick example, you're watching the news about Ukraine. You're thinking about the things going on. Is your mind mostly consumed with natural thoughts and politics? Usually. Or did it stir your heart like Daniel to pray and ask the Almighty God what he's doing in the heavenlies, that he might give you insight into the future like the men of old have? You see, we are naturally inclined to see the world through the world's eyes. It takes demonstrable work. It takes clinging to the testimony and something of the spirit of Christ, which is prophetic direction for us to be seeing anything different. Justin, how about 1 Timothy 1? Listen to 1 Timothy 1.18. It says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on, holding on to faith and a good conscience. You see, Paul understood exactly what Revelation 19 was saying. He understood what it was to hold on to the testimony and the spirit of prophecy in his daily life. See, the problem was t with Timothy was not that he couldn't prophesy. Timothy could prophesy all day long, but Paul is encouraging him to do something different. He's encouraging him to hold on to the prophecies yeah. made about him, which is holding on to the spirit of Jesus. Now, we're going to dig into Romans 4 as you're starting to see this. But Romans 4 is another writing of Paul, and it's his explanation of what Abraham possessed. It's an explanation of how Abraham was able to operate in the prophetic message, how Abraham was able to operate in the word that came to him, his revealed word, despite Abraham being a tragically flawed man himself. We love to read about Abraham and think he's amazing, but guess what? He was a man just like us. Romans 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. Justin just mentioned it. But we often forget that Abraham was a man like you and I. Yeah. Genesis clearly records sins that he committed, failings that he had, areas of overwhelming unfaithfulness, but the astounding revelation of his own sinful condition and desperate need for the word of God to live within him drove him to something beautiful. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Saints, what we're speaking about this morning is not just corporate prophecy. 
We're speaking about your ability to believe God's word and direction for your life in you. It's the basis for everything else that we're going to carry on. That he has spoken to you and he can work in you and through you. But we must face the fact. Somebody say face the fact. Face the fact. That your body is as good as dead. Saints, we must face the fact. Abraham faced the fact that he, his flesh itself, was as good as dead and believed the living and active word of God. The prophetic message of God in his life, although it was not a reality, he walked as if it was. Not many of you would disagree with that statement. In fact, you would even amen the idea that we need to do the same. Would you do that? Yeah. You would agree with that? Yeah. We applaud you. For that perspective. But what is more in Abraham's life? See, believe the prophetic word about his spouse as well. Yeah. He understood that her body was as good as dead. That there was a problem there in her flesh. And yet in hope he believed not only for himself. But his family, men of God. Feelings of immovable issues. Death that you have previously spent years cultivating into your marriage. Sinful habits that have been there as long as you can remember. Saints. We're at war. It's time to face the facts and in hope. Believe. Yes. Believe for you. Believe for your wife. And ask the Almighty God to move through you. Saints, we need to believe the Word of God. His prophetic direction that is true now but will be true in our future. Yes. Because He calls the end from the beginning. And ask Him to create it in us. Listen to verse 20. Yet He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness, because he believed the word that God had given him as a promise, and he believed that he could fulfill it. So he glorified him. Man, this kind of attitude will cause you to be strengthened Amen. in your faith. Come on, husbands, looking for direction in your household, direction for your children, direction about ministry in the future. Thinking about how you can't do it and how you're not worthy and you don't understand the vision is not how you're going to be strengthened in your faith. But believing the promise Amen. and living like you believe that promise is coming about in its time, believing God will do it by his mighty right arm, that will cause you to rise up and be strengthened in your faith. Now, the prophetic direction of the word of the Lord lived in him. It was alive in him, and it was enough for his dead circumstance. Everything pointed towards failure in this situation except one thing, God's promise. Man, does that speak to you today? Are there things in your life that look dead, that they need resurrection, but it just doesn't seem possible? Man, you need to remember the promise that he gave you. And you need to begin to glorify him and rise up and be strengthened in your faith. All right, so Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15 to let his progress be evident to all. And as this word has been working its way into us, we have gained new insight into our state yeah. and the power of his sword, the power of his spirit of prophecy in our own lives. What we're about to share with you is something we did not know, but the Lord showed us. 
It has breathed life into long areas since dry. Yeah. We, we're speaking of progress because we want to revisit a passage that we have already taught in foundations. And we want to show you something that we never knew existed in the passage. You guys want to dig into that? Yeah. We're going to get into 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 6. But before we pick up in verse 6, you need to know a little bit of context about what's going on in this passage. You should know that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Mayunites, they have united against King Jehoshaphat. What you're going to find out is that Jehoshaphat does something extraordinarily special. He is going to face the fact of the invading forces, and he's going to face the fact that the vision of God is going to come into him in a supernatural way. So picking up in verse 6, are you all with us? Yeah. Verse 6 says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, Abraham. your friend? What is he doing here? He immediately calls to mind the word of the Lord that came to Abraham. Come on. He is repeating on. the prophetic vision that he believed despite the fact that his body was as good as dead. Abraham believed it, and now Jehoshaphat is repeating it. Listen to verse 8. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Where did, where did you hear that before? Where in the Bible can you hear these exact same words? He not only is calling to mind Abraham's promise. Secondly, he calls to mind the prayer and prophecy of Solomon that God himself answered in advance. He's working his way through the prophetic messages that his family has received over the years. Now the third thing he does is even better than this. But first, we're going to have to read a different passage. Acts 2, 29-30. Oh, this is good. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David... Somebody say, the patriarch? The patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. The reality is that David was a prophet. The vast majority of what you hear preached on him is that he was a king, which is true. That he was a warrior, which is true. That he even operated like a priest putting on the ephod, which was true. Yeah. But what Peter does is he says he's a patriarch and a prophet. prophet. Jehoshaphat understood this. He knew the patriarch that had come before him and that he had prophesied about the future. He understood his writings to both be instructive for his daily life, to instruct his strength, but to contain insight into God's promise, his prophetic direction for the future of the house of Israel. Come on. So much is revealed when we look to the old treasures. 
I'm convinced that at this moment, we don't need anything new as adversity is being piled on. That we need to revitalize old treasures like what Abraham possessed, what Solomon possessed. Things that we have already received but have not lived in us yet. See, the Word of God only truly lives in a man. His prophetic direction for your life beyond what your eyes can see only lives when you're dying and facing that fact. Knowing that his patriarch, his father, David, was a prophet, we're going to read to you out of Psalm 4, which comes from David. You just noted in Chronicles that he described the situation that was going on, and he quoted Abraham, quoted Solomon, saying that God would hear and save him. This is Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Now, if you're a guest today that hasn't spent much time around us, that may not mean much to you. But if you've been engaging to build a household that is righteous, if you're in situations that are causing you to cry out for an answer from God, then Psalm 4 may have a specific meaning to you. Jehoshaphat has just verbalized his trust that God hears his prayer and that God will deal with the situation and save them. He said, you will hear us and save us. You're going to find out as we continue that he prays line by line through what David laid out. He acknowledges what is going on that is difficult. He doesn't avoid it. Avoiding difficult situations in your body, in your home, in your own sinful condition will never do a damn thing for you. But facing the fact like David did, like Abraham did, and acknowledging it before the Almighty God, this is bad and I'm not sure what to do about it. That is the place to start, just like these men did. As Peyton picks up in verse 10, you're going to hear Psalm 4 progress. You guys ready to progress? Are you still with us this morning? Come on, someone shout hallelujah if you're still with us. Verse 10, but uh, but now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Do you see what they're doing? They're trying to drive us out. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? He's remembering what God had set in motion. And he's reflecting on the character of God. Where in the beginning of 2 Chronicles 20 does Jehoshaphat go, the word you gave me, you gave me this word and I believe it. No, he says, like Deuteronomy 7, a thousand generations, you said this to Abraham and it is still just as true today. But here he's saying, see how they are repaying us? Listen to verse 2 of Psalm 4. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Jehoshaphat has just verbalized his concern before the Lord and told him about the resulting inward feelings. Like, see how they are repaying us? Do you notice they are trampling on the possession that you gave us? And this can't be. Turning glory to shame. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20. Oh, our God. Will you not judge them? How many of us have prayed that prayer? (laughs) Oh God, will you not judge them? 
For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. This is incredible. They all stood there before the Lord. This means that all Judah has ceased regular work. They have separated themselves from everything else and they have come before the Lord to hear what God has to say. And now they are standing before him waiting to hear his voice. What a crucial, crucial, pivotal part of this message. Listen to verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 4. Listen to how it they are doing exactly what Psalm 4 says. Verse 3 of Psalm 4 says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. And Jehoshaphat is doing this before an army, church. Incredible. Jehoshaphat has just verbalized and physically done what Psalm 4 states, as prescribed by his father David, who was in fact a prophet. He has the prophetic message living in him, and he is acting it out in front of an army that is coming to invade. He has resolved to obey the Lord and the Lord alone. This is the state that Jehoshaphat is in, in the moment. Now listen to verse 14 of 2 Chronicles. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Now the Lord answers them. It's happening as a result of them walking through the prophecy and written word that was given to them. Yeah. But if that genealogy sounded as if it was uh, foreign and erroneous to you, we want to enlighten you. Asaph and his sons on a generational level forevermore, were set apart for the ministry of prophecy. Specifically, prophesying to the Davidic line as the kingship and showing them what they must do. So David, the man who set Asaph apart and his sons and descendants as prophetic ministers, and the king that is the descendant of David, is now reading what David wrote, who himself was a prophet, and the sons of the same man who were set up to prophesy are now converging in the generations. Yeah. Saints, tell me, when we were praying for the kids, that it doesn't matter. Listen, our faithfulness now to hold and cling to the word of God, you have no idea the way in which two families who have sons may converge in the Come generations on. ahead yeah. and change the reality. It goes on in verse 15 and says, Listen, King Josephat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and yeah. see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them. Go out to face them. Go out to face the fact. And tomorrow the Lord will be with you. Yeah. 
saints, now having walked through verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 4, where they were set apart, where they were silent before the Lord, they received instructions. Listen to Psalm 4, verse 5. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. See, Jehoshaphat now knows what the right sacrifices are. God has shown him as he quieted himself before God what to do. And you will see the manner in which he carries out these instructions in verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Amen. Early in, these are my people. Early in the morning, they left the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him. For the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. In the face of overwhelming odds, they begin to offer the right sacrifices of obedience. Back to Psalm 4, listen to verse 6. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Amen. You have filled my heart with greater joy. Amen. Isn't that always the question? Who can show us any good? Even today, the whole world is asking, who can show us any good? But our response is, let the light of your face yes. shine on us, mighty God. Jehoshaphat has just verbalized his joy and trust in the Lord Almighty. And he is putting action to that joy and sending men out with praise at the head. Leading the army, leading this movement with praise and songs of joy. This is because he faced the fact of his situation. But like his fathers before him now, uh, now has their prophecy alive in him. The word is coming alive in him, and he believes it, and it is causing faithful, obedient actions to be performed. And he believes what God has spoke through the word to him. Now, we're going to jump back into 2 Chronicles, and I'm going to summarize verses 22 through 26. But can you see the results of what it looks like to hold on to the prophetic message? Yeah. To actually hold on to what the word says? And not just treat it like a trivial trinket, but actually hold on and do what it says. Can you see the importance of that? In verse 22 through 26, something incredible happens. And it's no mystery. They put the word into action. And as a, res as a, res a result, God literally fought the battle for them. Yeah. Jehoshaphat and his army, they go down to where God says. And they find that another army has come in and totally destroyed their enemies for them. They literally walk up and they see the enemy dead before them, and they didn't do a thing. The Lord did it for them. Then in verse 27, it says, Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem ret returned joyfully to Jerusalem. Yeah. 
For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. Uh -huh. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. The fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at Shalom. For his God had given him rest on every side. Man, what a shalom there is to be had, church. The result of taking hold of the prophetic message of the past was shalom in the kingdom of Judah. And it is the same for you as well. Taking hold of the prophetic message will always result in shalom for your kingdom as well. This correlates directly to verse 8 of Psalm 4. David, prophetically speaking, saying, I will lie down and sleep in shalom. Yeah. For you alone, are, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Yeah. Man, we need this desperately, church. You can't make yourself lie down in safety. You can't make yourself sleep in shalom, but you know who can? It is the Lord and the prophetic word that he has already given you. Yeah. If you live it out, hold on to it. You can have this. Now, what makes this passage unique is its realization inside of us. The realization that we need this and we can walk it out like Jehoshaphat did. When we face the fact of our own condition, when we look at the straight facts, this is who I am in light of God's word, and yet his prophetic message is in us and for us, man... When we make it alive inside of us like Abraham and the men of old did, it will result in shalom no matter the circumstances. Can you feel the tension of those two truths with us yeah. this morning? Yes. You are as good as dead, and yet you have a prophetic message inside of you. Yeah. So consider with us before we move on. The way in which a godly king began to actually walk in the promise of Abraham, actually walk in the prophecy of Solomon, actually walk in what was written by his great-great-grandfather in advance was the moment that the odds, the circumstances, and his own condition became overwhelmingly apparent, and he faced the fact. Saints, we're not speaking about unbelievers. We're speaking about believers. How you live in God's direction for your life is by coming to these gut-wrenching circumstances where you must call back to what God has already said. And he causes it to be born in you. See, far too many of us know Psalm 4, but we don't know it like Jehoshaphat. Far too many of us know the prayer of Solomon. We don't know what it looks like to be asking him and believing in the moment. He does hear you, church, and he will save you out of it. Acts 27 is where we're going to pick up. It's with the Apostle Paul who went through these same kind of rigorous training exercises and got to put it on display when it came time to face the facts. Acts 27 verse 9 says this. But much time has been lost and sailing had already become dangerous. Thanks, we don't have time to describe it today. But the word dangerous is unique in the scripture. It's actually a oh, Greek yeah. medical term. It's akin to saying you have cancer. It's not it might be dangerous. It's saying there is something physically threatening about this that will cause death. Because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. And bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, 
followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Yeah, you're going to hear an I told you so here in a minute. Yeah. I would like to go ahead and address something. Many of my perilous situations over the last week have been due to my own lack of leading by the Lord, my own stupidity, my own carnal nature. In Jehoshaphat's instance, it was due to an adversary. An adversary had placed him in that position. He knew that God had allowed it and responded to it rightly. Now we are in a special circumstance with Paul. Paul, who correctly discerned the will of God, who understood what was happening, but his good counsel was not listened to and not by adversaries, by co-workers, men that are around him, a centurion who has shown him mercy when he didn't have to. In fact, you're going to find out he's concerned for these men's lives. They're not his adversaries. But they failed to listen to good counsel. Now, I know no one in this room is learning to work in a team or been married a little while. But it might be that at times you're placed in a situation where you have to face the facts, not because you didn't discern it properly, because it wasn't heated properly. Now, I don't know which one most often characterizes you. I know you heard my first example where I have often put myself in perilous situations. But consider the fact that Paul is blameless in this. As Peyton picks up in verse 21, it's not an adversary that's arisen. His own stupid decisions didn't put him here. Yeah. Men who did not respond to his right counsel put him here. Yeah, you've heard the phrase, between a rock and a hard place. Well, today I want to teach you a new one. When you're chose, you have to choose between the pilot and the owner of the ship, go with Paul. This is verse 21. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because we are in the situation. So at least have some heart. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men. For I have faith in God that will happen just that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, whether you caused the trouble that got you in your situation, whether an enemy caused it, whether in your voyage uh, this was caused through failing to heed others' instruction, know the God whom you belong to and serve. We have to know what his word says, what his promises are, and it has to be alive in us so that we can have faith to be saved and have enough faith for others to be saved in our situation. Did you catch that Paul had an angel of God stand next to him and say, do not be afraid? Probably because he was struggling with some fear. But he was reminded of what God said would happen. Therefore, this circumstance will not take you captive and be the end. Have faith and strengthen those around you. Have enough faith for yourself and for those who are sailing with you. Come on, church. This is how we live in community and family. You need to have faith, what God said for your household, 
for your life will come to pass because it is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore and cannot be changed. And will not be changed because God's character doesn't change. But when you have enough faith to stand on that promise, even on your darkest days, and say, the Parsons household's feet are planted, and we will not be moved. And I know that you will not be moved because I'm going to be an anchor point for you. Just have courage. Do not be afraid. Man, can we just get that inside of us this morning? The God whose I am. Yeah. Church, what God do you belong to this morning? Man, you can keep up your courage. You can have faith in God. You can know his promise. And you can also know his promise for everyone around you, just like Paul did. Man, I, I'm learning to rise in my faith what God has already Hallelujah. promised me. Come on. Therefore, I'm learning to rise in faith what God has already promised you too. We're going to have to wrestle with this, church. We're going to have to wrestle and ask a few questions if we want to be like Paul. If we want to have the prophetic message inside of us and have faith enough for ourselves yeah. and those around us, then we're going to have to ask, is his word alive in you or is it not? Well, we could say, yeah, his word's alive in me. You know, I quote it, I read it, I talk about it, but is his word actually alive in you in such a way that it's causing you to rise in faith and act out what he's oh, promised despite question. facing the facts? How about this one? Are you obedient to Christ or not? Think about your week. Are there things that you know that God has commanded you to do and you have not done them yet? How about this one? Do you hate your sin? Or do you just keep it at a safe distance? Like, man, I, I don't want to sin, but I don't hate it enough to actually destroy it. I'm just going to keep it over there when it doesn't suit me. Are you living like you did when Christ called you? Or are you still looking for a new thing? See, that's not holding on to the prophetic word. That's looking yeah. for something else constantly. Oh, man, this one really gets me. Are you a master at confronting other people's sin, but professionally blind to your own sin? Wow. Oh, yeah, brother, let me help you with that. Wait, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about me? I don't see that. No, no, you're, you're, you're definitely wrong. That's not going on inside of me. What about this one? Do you preach a gospel that makes it difficult for others, yet alleviates you from responsibility? Man, man the cost is hard, but not for me. Last question. Do you have a faith that can both save yourself and those around you? Do you have a kind of faith like Paul? Where you know whose God you belong to, you know what God you belong to, and you are able to right the ship. You are able to save those on your boat, your own ship, and you're able to lead them in the same faith that you possess. Saints, this really is the linchpin of what we want to get to. 58 minutes, we're going to cover a few things that will help you see the Lord rightly and help you walk yeah. rightly. But more than anything else, question number seven needs to be addressed. The reality is that Paul's demonstration of what it looks like to know God, to know that he is his servant, to believe his direction, caused him to have enough faith for himself and for the men that are around him. Do you want to live an effectual life in Christ Jesus? Yeah. It will never be done drowning in despair for yourself about getting married, about your wife's condition, about all of the things in you. We must rise to the place where we believe his word enough for us 
and the people around us. We are called to be the army of God, called to be a family that cares more for one another than ourselves, and this is where it begins. As we go to Malachi, it will force us to clinch with the reality of how God refines us, but it will not be discouraging because you're experiencing it. Malachi is also going to show us, teach us how to grab hold of right relationship with God himself and see ourselves rightly. Malachi 3, 2 through 4 says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? This is essentially the question we've been asking since we were in Revelation at the beginning of the message. Who is his faithful followers? Who is really, actually, consistently faithful? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will. Somebody say, he will. He will. Purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Saints, we are raising up a household of priests in this room. God promises that the day of his judgment is going to be brutal. Who can stand? But he also says that he will sit to purify, refine, and wash. So if you walked in here and you're realizing areas of your life are dirty, there is hope. It's just not pleasant. The reality is this is our only chance at walking with him. He has chosen you, church. He has called you, but we must be made faithful. Then, then after that refinement, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable. Saints, are you hearing Psalm 4 in this again? Who can stand in his holy presence is the question that begins. Out of this room, those who are called and chosen, it is only those who have refined and embraced the refining and ask God Almighty to address their condition. Face the fact that you're dead, but ask Him to transform you. At this point, I want to point out a few things in verse 6 through 10. In summary form, it describes the condition of the people. It says that they withheld things from God. And they ask Him, how did we rob you? He says in tithes and offerings. You can imagine why that might have struck my attention. Verse 9. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Saints, get your mind off of the basic, off of the carnal. We're not speaking this morning about tithes and offerings. We're talking about the areas of your life that have been withheld in previous years. That it is time for you to face the facts. My marriage is not like it needs to be. My children are not what they need to be. Most specifically, my heart still has an awful lot of wickedness in it. And I'm not transformed like I want to be. I know that he called me. I know that he chose me. But I have to become faithful. The answer to it is his refining fire and his launderer's soap. When we are refined by him, when we face the fact his prophetic word can live in us, not just be acknowledged. Church, test him in this and see that he will not throw open the gates of heaven and provide a transformed life, a new born again experience every day, causing you to become the men and women of God you're called to be. Verse 16 through 18 of Malachi 3 is really where we want to center. We want you to learn to see the Lord correctly. You're going to notice that we've been talking about men who serve the Almighty God and how He sees them from the beginning. 
the character of our good father is how this portion of Malachi 3 concludes. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again See the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. It's time we know the God whom we belong to and serve. And we fight with every last breath till our lungs collapse to know him. To know him in a way that we have never known him in seasons past. We want to know his promise and his prophetic message through his word. That is already is, already is written. That is setting in your lap. That you have access to. Do you want to know it like your life depended on it? We need to grow enough to have faith that is saving to us. And also enough faith to save those around you. How are we going to evangelize the Middle East? If we don't have faith enough to overcome our current situation. We need to grow in this because there is going to have to be a display of supernatural faith so that people believe by our actions we, we preach and, and believe what we are preaching. Man, this, this is completely uh, dismantled my constitution over the last couple weeks. I really am just desiring to progress enough in the kingdom... To be pleased with myself. It's not motivated by a desire to please the Lord. Who I claim to be a son and serve. But he is refining me. Like refiner's fire. Like fuller's soap. Have you ever seen a fuller, uh, fuller soap? They take the dirty cloth. They find a large stone. And then they slam it against the stone. And grate it. And rip it to shreds. Until all the mud and all the grime. Is washed out of it. You might think. Oh laundry gentle cycle. Let's, let's be washed gently by the Lord. No. To get the filth that is in your carnal flesh. It needs to be cut out. And aggressively washed. It needs to be refined by fire. So that the pure Faith, the pure metals that are deep within you can be revealed. Church, as we are working towards a close, we want to have our hearts captivated by something we read in Malachi 3.17. It says, just as a father has compassion and spares his son and serves him. Church, there is no greater compassion in all of the universe than a compassion that a father has for his son. And this is the God that we serve. And we have to know the God that we belong to and serve. We need our hearts captivated again by the God that we serve. Our Heavenly Father and the compassion that He has for us. This will drive us to be desperate for the Lord and His prophetic word. Not desperate for the Lord just so we can feel complete. So that the refining process is over and we can move on. No, desperate for the Lord because we want more of our Father. This is akin to the husband's desire for his wife. His willingness in the progress to be with her in her progress. 
This is like a father and a son. The son desiring to please his father, even though the son knows he screws it up royally every day. We need to have that willingness and desire grow in us to please him alone. What we're wrestling with is are you really desiring to just to be satisfied with yourself so you don't have to look at the ugly areas of your life? Or are you really wrestling for the Lord to be pleased with you as a father? We need to desire. We need the desire for him to grow in us. The desire for him to be proud of us because he is our father. As we make progress in a never-ending, ongoing process until we're raised in glory. We need to recognize that's going to happen until the day we die. And the only thing that, the only thing that makes it worth it is knowing that he is proud of us in the process. There's a mixture of people in the room. Some of you still have so little awareness of your own sinful condition. But to be frank, I'd rather not preach to you for 45 minutes out of an hour-long message because there are other people that are deeply aware of their own condition and crying out for God to save them. And I'd just rather not punish them with your own ignorance. Today is a day for sober recognition of the way in which you know God's prophetic direction. You know his word. You know he says what is coming, but it doesn't actually live in you because you've avoided instead of facing the facts. Those of you that increasingly are becoming aware of your own condition and you just want to be pleasing before him. Justin gave you an example of a father and of a husband. The difference between a father and a son is so great that it's easy to understand. You're waiting to love your son for when he's perfected. Well, you're not gonna you're gonna raise a psychopath. You love your son because he wants to please you, because he's making progress. A son who stamps his feet and does not want to please his father should be severely disciplined. But one who wants to please you will work with his own ineptness. You will work with his own sinfulness. You will teach him to be a man of God. Let's do one more. Husbands, you inwardly desire on a basic level born of God for your wife to admire you and want to please you. And it's designed for you to be inspired to lead her well. This goes all the way back to Genesis. Your desire will be for your husband. Ladies, your lives are miserable when you think it's about your own gain. Your life is about being pleasing to your king and king of kings. How much more the distance between us and an almighty God who does not have the presence of sin? Who could stand on the day of his judgment if he was waiting for you to be perfect? Church, we are not a group of people that preach passivity to sin. And don't misunderstand me. We are not saying be passive with sin. We're saying your God is looking for you to have a heartfelt awareness and desire to become like your father. That he's pleased with the son who willingly serves him, who knows like Paul that he belongs to him. You know who your daddy is. Some of you are so fear-ridden, so covered in fear that it comes into everything that you do. The slightest blowing of the wind makes you worried that you are not going to succeed, that you're going to fall away, and that it's all over with and your future is done. As ridiculous as that sounds, that is what your daily life looks like. You're dominated by fear more than you are faith. You need to get to know your father and that he has compassion on the son who 
serves him. Not of the ones who willfully ignore him, but the ones who serve him. Today is a day for restoring right relationship with a father that is calling for his people. Just like Abraham, his desires for you to believe him, for you to trust him. There are two passages that Justin and I are going to read to you. The first one is 1 Peter 5, picking up in verse 8. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Saints, that could not be more true on a pragmatic weekly level for us right now. I'm pretty intent on sticking close to my father, sticking in unity, because he's already looking to devour, and I'm not trying to give him something to devour. Not out of you, not any one of you. Even some of you that are hard-headed and like to put yourself in bad situations. We're fighting for you not to be devoured. But instead, for you to know your father and that he has compassion on those who serve him so that you can resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, and he will make you more firm. He will strengthen you like Abraham as you face the fact. Because you know that the family, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, the God of all empowerment beyond, over, and past sin, that God who called you. Saints, every one of you were called in this room. He has called you to his eternal glory. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Thanks to him be the power forever and ever. Ephesians 1 is where we would like to close with you. Regardless of what side of the coin you're on, if you are desperately struggling in fear, if you honestly can come to the conclusion you don't know how to relate to your father rightly, if you're realizing that men that you believe to be righteous around you are way, way more aware of their own sinful condition and you're oblivious, when you can see their life and their progress and their prayer looks like a man crying out for transformation, but yours have looked more like, help me with this situation, do this for me, complete me, put me in ministry, fix my circumstances. Now's the time to ask the Almighty to reveal His desire for you. Because we don't have time to wait. There is an enemy that wishes to devour you. And if you don't recognize it, resist him and stand firm, you will be devoured. We want to land on Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your, your faith, your faith, LCM, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Listen to this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. 
far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Church, it is our prayer now that the eyes of your heart may be opened, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you can know the hope that he has called you to and that you may know him better. Church, it is okay to come to this altar. It is okay to face the fact that you are as good as dead. We all do it. We're doing it right now. We're doing it this week. We're facing the fact that in ourselves there is no good thing. But you know what is good inside of us? It is the prophetic word that he's given us. It is the hope that he has called us to. It is okay to come up here and realize that I I am a failure. And yet, my father has called me to glorious things. His word is inside me. So we're going to ask at this altar that the eyes of our hearts be opened. We're going to ask that the internal motivations be exposed before God. Not, that, not so that we can feel bad about ourselves. We're going to ask that those internal motivations be exposed so that we can know Him better. Do you realize God wants to open your eyes and expose those foul motivations only so that you can know Him better? He wants you to know Him better. He wants that to happen right here at this altar so that you can know the hope to which you were called. You guys, please stand. So men in the room, if your awareness and relationship with the Lord has not looked like a knowledge of to whom you belong, to whom you serve, to the extent to which it produced saving faith, for your family and the men around you. Bonham, turn those lights back on. Then I want you to take a moment at the altar, but go grab your brothers in whom you are in covenant with. Go grab an elder, grab a pastor, and ask them to help you learn what it is to have faith for the people around you. Because our biggest issue today is not us weeping at the altar over our own condition, but we must grow to a place where we have faith for the world around us and we are its light. If you're hearing about the awareness that you do not have, you don't know why it is other men can hear from God and you don't, now is the time to apply the words that have been taught in the past. Woe is me, I am ruined, Isaiah cried. That's what altar time looks like. Not crying for a little while, but setting your face to the God who is holy, asking him to show you his glory and reveal your own condition. If you have been crippled by fear, now's the time to acknowledge it, but not waste your life repenting for being fearful and being more fearful. Asking the Almighty God to help you walk in faith. We are not here to repeat the same cycle that has bound us in the past. Today is a day to grab hold of what He has already given you. You are called, church. You are chosen by the Almighty. And He will make you faithful. So as we pray, we are going to face the fact. But no man and no woman has to walk out of here in shame or despair. 
Every man, every woman in here can walk knowing that God is transforming them with a new faith born from above. Lift your hands. If you're at the altar, raise them for a moment. Turn your eyes towards your King. Lord, we come before you not in somberness today. We come before you knowing you are our Father. Lord, we ask that you would help us in our unbelief. Lord, that you would transform us into a faithful people. Lord, we acknowledge you have chosen this body. You have called this church. Lord, be our Lord at our head, almighty God.